All right, welcome back to the Guys with Feelings podcast, where two guys discuss the events, ideas, influences, and yes, the feelings that make them better men. My name is Jamin Yee. I'm Gabe Bros. And yeah, today we, uh, we've got two segments for you. We're going to begin with a, a conversational potluck of sorts, where we're each going to bring something meaty to the table. Um, Gabe, you're a vegetarian. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something that we really want to, each of us really wants to discuss. We'll each bring something. Um, and then we'll wrap things up with a quick lightning round where we each share our top three of the month, uh, top three things that we want to share, recommend, things that have been inspiring us. So yeah. Um, so yeah, we can, uh, we can get right into it. Uh, and it's uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So yeah. Um, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, how's your week been going, Gabe? It's been great. It's been great. We had our, our first uh, like in-law Thanksgiving. So we had uh, so uh, Sarah's parents, my wife Sarah, uh, came up to do Thanksgiving with my family. Um, yeah, and it was That's really awesome. nice. It was like, yeah, it was like a little bit of like the awkwardness and like yeah. challenges of that. But uh, but um, it was cool. Sarah's brother, Sina, made a really uh, cool observation that it was his first time. They have this huge Iranian family in uh-huh. Los Angeles. And so their Thanksgivings are... They have like 80 people every year and it's like crazy. It's awesome. I've been, it's like really, really fun. Um, and Sina made the observation that he loves Thanksgiving with his family, but he'd never had a Thanksgiving with any other family before. So he was like, when we started going around the table saying what we're thankful for, he was like, this is cool. Like, this is like the first time I've ever gotten to do Thanksgiving with another family and see how like anyone else does yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. Outside of just like the movies. So yeah, that was like a really cool reflection and like, yeah, we had a really good time. Dude, that's great. Yeah. Um, I've spent, I spent pretty much my entire week, uh, just being sick as hell. Okay. So <laughs> fun. it's been, it's been tough. I, I feel 90% recovered today, but still feel a little loopy. So if I say any weird shit on the podcast, yeah. it's, it's, it's totally just the sickness, talking. just the sickness. Yeah. Um, no judgment, <laughs> no judgment. All right. So yeah, let's get, let's get right into it. Um, so, uh, we'll begin with the with what we're bringing to the table today. Potluck time. Potluck time. Uh, so Gabe Rose, what are you bringing to the table? Well, I, I tried in, in every way that I could to avoid bringing the election to the table, Oof. but I, you know. Got to do it. On two levels, A, like just in general, it feels just like having a, you know, a real authentic conversation like this without at least touching on the election seems, it's like, you know, the, the 800 pound grill in the room. And yeah. B, like, as you know, like, politics and advocacy and advocacy ad, um, activism is like a huge part of my life so um yeah i just like i i think i'd be sort of faking it if i if i brought anything else to the table so um yeah i think i yeah. gotta talk about the election for a we minute we gotta or two. talk about it yeah i, I try mean, to keep it short but yeah i mean so right now we're pretty much like two weeks out from the result yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh that was a bombshell yeah and that that rocked a lot of us and yeah um yeah. Uh, was there a specific thing about it that you wanted to to bring to the table? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, there's like a few things I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things I could say that just like I hear a lot in the conversation, but I think there's like a few things I want to just like throw out for consideration that yeah. I think are a little less present in the conversation, like overall, um, maybe like two. One is that, um, you know, I've been trying to use this as um, a catalyst to really um, re-examine a lot of my own or at least some of my own like beliefs and opinions and ideology um, not to 
go back and say, oh, I'm wrong about everything or I need to shift all my views. But but I think like because so many of us didn't see this coming, didn't understand and still don't understand on a deep level, still don't understand really how this could happen, right. how this could even be close, let right. alone right. actually happen. Right. Um, I think it's a healthy exercise for all of us. Like, I, I feel like I see a lot of people using this to prove whatever their point was all along. Like, oh, like, see, I was right. And like the I told you so conversation is a really like sort of easy and comfortable one. But and like certainly I, I'm sure I have my share fair of that, that that I'm also doing. But mm-hmm. I'm trying as much as possible avoid using this to confirm why my opinion on this issue or that issue or political strategy is was right all along and everyone should have listened to me. Right. Um, and just try to like sort of re-examine just as many of my own priors as possible and look at them through like different lenses and read more um, opinion writers and thinkers that I disagree with. And I don't know, just use it as a, as a catalyst to expand my thinking or challenge my own thinking a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been this fascinating wake up call to a lot of people. Like, I don't think any of us saw, saw this coming and the fact that it happened and with this guy of all people, um, I think really like, I think there's a few ways you could look at it. I know the the initial reaction is, well, we're just fucked. <laughs> like, yeah, right. The, this country is screwed. We're, it's, it's an easy story to tell. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, and I get it. That was definitely my first reaction also. But I think as you move through the stages of grief, <laughs> you yeah. start to like, and you start to think about it more and you're like, okay, wait, how did this actually happen? Like, how did we actually get here? Um and I think it's making us ask some really interesting questions. And I think it's, it's actually, it's making us, um, I don't know, like, at least for me, it's been making me wonder like where I can own some of this happening, like where in my own, like with, with my own views or the way I've been seeing the situation, like how I can own just like part of like this happening with Trump being elected. Um, f- and for me personally, I feel like there's a way in which I was viewing, uh, you know, some of Trump supporters, like these working class, uh, rural America, um, and seeing them in a way that was, you know, from my liberal elite bubble. And, and I know a lot of people have been talking about this, but like, it, it's true. Like, I, I think I was seeing them almost as like subhuman or just really looking down on them and not considering them as like my, my fellow Americans and not really thinking about deeply about what's best for them. What are their needs? You know, um, and it's been really interesting and, and humbling, I think, to reflect on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the reality is, like, we all are in this boat together and we all have a say. And so, like, just even if someone's opinion is feels, like, very wrong or off to you, like, you got to remember that, like, they're going to vote just like you do. And so, like, so on some level, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, like, really problematic racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, blah, blah. There's like no shortage of that that needs to be called out and fought against like tooth and nail. Right. Um, And also um, on some level, it's also incumbent upon us to actually find ways to win people over, not just call out the problematic situation. And that's like, that's where a lot of the hard work comes in. And I don't think anyone has perfect answers on that, even though a lot of people feel like they do. Right. uh, Maybe, but um, we've got to do that. The other, the other thing I just like feel like I, um, just like have to throw out there is I'm so worried about us. And I mean like sort of like the collective us people like on the coast that really, really dislike Trump and are very scared about 
uh, his presidency, yeah. like chasing a lot of shiny balls by which I mean like whatever this fucking like Hamilton dust up. Well, <laughs> like just like, I was just like, uh, so I love my mom, but I'm going to use her as a, as a example here. <laughs> sorry, um, man. if she's listening, sorry. Um, but, um, just like when I talked to my mom the other day, she was so fired up about the Hamilton thing. And this is like really like paying a lot of attention to it and reading it. It was really like consuming her thing. And I just yeah. think like, like there's going to be a version of that literally every week for the next four years, <laughs> yeah. at least yeah. once a week. Get Some just like it. fucking stupid, insane, ridiculous. I mean, it's been happening for a year and a half, like he, yeah. uh, with him on Twitter. It's right. like, he's going to say so many just, insanely stupid things on a daily and weekly basis that are so easy to like fire up our like outrage machine about we like on some level we got to like know which of those just to let go and actually focus on the big thing you know like him like running his business out of the white house that's a big thing him appointing jeff sessions as like ag like that's a big thing the hamilton shit just fuck it It just we gotta like develop some muscle muscle memory where you can just like weave the crazy random shit that doesn't actually matter alone even though it's really hard like i'm not sure we collectively have the capacity to do that but right um i i hope we can we can work on it yeah yeah um this guy you turned me on to on twitter was it chris arnade yeah yeah or chris um, arnade i'm not sure yeah really interesting guy right uh he spent like five years i think like just was he living in the the rural america like the midwest yeah so he was like an eye banker for 20 years i think he was like a, a phd in physics and then yeah the last like he just quit all that a few years ago to be a photographer like photojournalist and then a journalist and like the last at least year and a half he's been spent a lot of time in like rural America, like quote unquote Trump country. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of like deep reporting on, on people's lives there. Right. Right. And like, and he's been providing such a, an interesting, unique perspective on all this. But one of the things he talks a lot about is, uh, I think, uh, what a lot of us liberal elites do, especially like with this Hamilton thing you're talking about. But, um, a lot of this outrage we do is feels like we're signaling virtue is what he calls it. And, mm. uh, and sometimes it does feel a little, a little bit like that, you know, like when we angrily tweet or we put something out, um, sometimes it seems like we're just being like, hey, like, look at like how virtuous and moral and like ethical I'm being. Um, I'm definitely guilty of that also. But uh, I, I think that that's a real problem. And, and us like sp- getting really outraged about things like this that maybe don't matter as much um, starts to delegitimize like when we get mad about other things that do matter a lot more, you know, Um, it's a little bit like the boy who cried wolf. Um, And I think, yeah, I think we got to, we do have to be a little more selective about our outrage machine. And in some ways, um, so yeah, this, this phrase sounds really bad, but I think in some ways we do have to like be less sensitive. um, And and what I mean by that is, I think, yeah, like just take it, take a more careful look at exactly what it is that, that we are going to spend our time really like putting focus and attention onto yeah. also. Feel more discerning, I think, exactly. in terms of like what, what we, what we fire up the outrage machine about and what we don't. And that's right. hard because like each individual person, the only thing they're doing on the outrage machine is just hitting retweet, right? Like it's not like, it doesn't seem nobody's actually in charge of the outrage machine, right. which is why this is such a difficult, why like internet mobs are such a difficult thing to change and control. And maybe they'll always be with us. I hope not. But, but um, yeah, that just may be sort of our, our future of the internet, yeah. but totally. Yeah. So um, I don't know, post-election, 
you've been thinking about a lot of this stuff. Um, has this, has any, have you been changing your views on things at all? Like, have you seen any tangible differences in how you're looking at the world? Yeah. I mean, I think like, so, so the guy, Chris Arnade or Arnadi, um, that, that you mentioned, like one of the, one of the other things I saw him sort of go on a Twitter rant about, which, which really resonated, I think with both of us is, um, the idea of like trying to look at the world a little bit, just less through a purely like math zeros and ones, X's and O's perspective. Um, and the importance of sort of, you know, not like ditching that perspective, but finding ways to like take off our like sort of economist, economist, like technocratic hat sometimes and Mm. put on our sort of like sociologist communitarian hat. And like, Mm. that's something that resonated with me a lot. I think because I think my natural instincts in politics and policy are largely technocratic. Like, let's look at this machine and it's sort of working well in some ways and not working well in other Uh ways. And let's just figure out how to like tweak just like math. It's very like mathematical approach that that at least I, I endeavor to take like, if we push this button this way and dial this lever this way, we can make the outcome 7% better. And then everyone's lives are 7% better, you know? Right, and that's like right. my, th- those are, I've, I've come to be more self-aware about the fact that like on any issue, you know, on housing, on trade, on immigration, on education, like those are by and large my instincts. And like, I think that I used to view that as normatively correct, that that was like the correct way to look at the world and to approach problems. Yeah. And then it's all about who can find the right technocratic solutions. And again, I think there's a lot of value in that perspective. I'm not like throwing that perspective in the trash, but like, I do think we need to think a little more, I think I'll use first person. I think I, and I'd encourage other people with those instincts to think a little more about sort of like communities and people and how things actually land for people and not yeah. just like the numbers behind like, GDP and test scores and total number of housing units built, et cetera, et cetera. Like those things matter, but we can't only look at those things. Yeah. Could you give me like a specific example maybe? Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, let's take like immigration, right? Which is a, which is a tough one for me because my, my prior is both from sort of like a policy perspective in terms of what's best for the country and like a moral perspective all push me strongly towards like the more immigration, the better, like more like, you know, not obviously not like literally open borders, but, but towards really welcoming all sorts of immigration, high skill, low skill, et cetera, because I think we as a country wind up better off in a lot of ways and people coming here from other countries wind up. It's, I've always viewed it as like a win-win. And when you look at it, like on paper, like with math and you look at like GDP and wages and impact on immigrants' lives and native folks' lives, like by and large, that view is all backed up. That's why like you basically will not find, I've never seen like an economist who like, I I shouldn't say that, but like the vast majority of economists share that view, right? Because like on paper, it all pencils out, right? And then we get into this really challenging, tricky reality where for a lot of people, it doesn't feel that way. Like some folks in this country, especially folks who's been really rapid increases in, let's say, like a, a Latino American population, like in their town over the course of a decade, their town went from like roughly 0% Latino to like 30% Latino, right? Or something like that. Like that can feel like a really wrenching, like scary change, I think, for folks. And yeah. I, I get why. Like I want them to be okay with it. I think like on some level they should be okay with it. But I also like if it was me, right? If I wasn't like who I am, like living in Los Angeles and I was someone who lived in a town, like I, I think on some level it's an understandable human reaction. And like to what extent should we take that? Should we view that reaction as understandable rather than just strictly through a racist negative lens and then adjust our thinking to account for the fact that like 
people are going to have reactions to that. Um, I don't know like what the answer to that is, but like that's sort of like an example of like the things I'm sort of trying to wrestle with now in terms of like viewing the world through like an impact on people and people's perspective and lives way, as opposed to just a, oh, this like pencils out of my napkin. So like we should just keep doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like I've just been thinking a lot about like, how can we, how can we bring all Americans along with us? Like a lot of us do feel, especially like, you know, on the, on the West coast, like in, in our liberal elite bubbles that uh, we're seeing things, you know, um, I don't know, like we're, we're seeing things in a, in a more progressive or uh, more racially inclusive like way. Um, but for me, you know, and then, and with, you know, in contrast, it's easy to view them as like as racist and xenophobic backwards and, yeah. and then just and then just put a period on that conversation like oh and they're just racist or xenophobic end of story and for me i find myself a lot more interested in like so what are the factors that have led to them holding these views and how can we change that yeah how can we bring them along with us instead of like us moving way further ahead and just leaving like half the country yeah. behind um and I feel, yeah, and I feel like this has been an interesting wake-up call and, and, and having us kind of wake up to, like, how can we have all of Americans, like, come along with us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Not not an easy, simple process. Maybe it's not possible, you know, on some right. level. But, like, it seems like given the stakes, we should try as hard as we can. You know? Yeah. We, yeah, we have to. We don't really yeah. have any other choice. Yeah. So... <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, cool. So, so I'd love to hear. Um, I I think that will probably be the end of election talk for <laughs> this month's episode of Guys with Feelings, which I'm happy about. Uh, would love to hear uh, what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. So today, um, I'm bringing to the table my creative journey, <laughs> um, and specifically that in relation to this book I've been reading called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, you know, but I've pretty much spent my entire adult life trying to heal or like fix my relationship with creativity. Um, which is your profession, which is my yeah. profession. I'm a, uh, yeah. I run an animation studio. I've spent my entire life being a filmmaker. I've always prided myself on being a very creative person, but for most of my life, it has, it hasn't been this enjoyable process. It's been, stressful as fuck it's been uh just rife with a lot of like negative thoughts and perfectionism and struggling to like get like yeah like to 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 force myself to do it and then i force myself to do it and it's not fun anymore oh it's been yeah it's been, <laughs> it's been a tough journey um but i've recently been been making some awesome progress on it in the past month or so thanks to this book um, and Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And uh, and then she wrote this book, Big Magic, which is all about creativity. And I have to be honest, <laughs> the first the first time, like, so every time I saw this book, it was always on the bookshelf of, it was always on a woman's bookshelf. <laughs> and it was it was usually someone who was a little more woo-woo and, uh, and spiritual. And, and not that I'm not into that stuff, but yeah, I have my, I have a, a, you know, my, my limits. Um, and I think in my mind, I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, this book about creativity, but I don't think it's for me, yeah. you know, and there's something it's not going to resonate. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, something about it. Um, and, you know, and even reading it, 
uh, I remember like the whole, my whole time reading it, like the language of it, the tone of it, uh, sometimes just really doesn't resonate with me. Um, and, and look, I'm not like, I'm not Mr. Manly man over here. I'm not like, <laughs> Oh, this book, you know, is like called big magic and is, you know, and, and is really, it feels to me like uh, very written towards women, um, and talks about creativity, almost like uh, anthropomorphizes it, like talks about creativity, like, you know, go on a hot date with creativity. And mm. why don't you go on a road trip with creativity and, and like talk, you know, like and talk to it um, and and talks about the magic, you know, of, of it, ideas like coming and finding you and wanting to work with you. Um, and something about that kind of turns me off. I don't I don't know if this if that is like a guy thing or or just me, but um, something about that language does turn me off. But I, I kind of put that aside and just kept reading. And I'm really glad I did because, uh, I think she has a fucking awesome perspective on creativity and one that I really needed to hear. And she really, she's such a champion for like, um, yeah, enjoying your relationship with creativity, like not being that tortured artist who like, you know, sitting there and everything's so miserable. Like she really is, uh, is about, you learning to enjoy your relationship with creativity and also just like being a lot easier on yourself with the relationship. Mm. And it's been great for me. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You, so you wrote a blog post the other day. Yeah. Um, do you know, like called, uh, was it like how to be a disciplined half-ass? Yeah. And like, it's like an idea that really resonated with me when I was, when I was reading it and when we've been talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the post is called learn to be a disciplined half-ass and is basically this idea she talked about, where she says the two worst things you can be as a creative are to be lazy and a perfectionist. And I was like, oh shit, that's me. <laughs> like, yeah. And, um, and, and the discipline part, like I'm, I'm able to make that happen. Like in yeah. the past I can, I can brute force my way through. I can make myself stick to routines. Like it's not always easy, but I can do it. Yeah. But for me, the huge like, aha was the, the perfectionist part. Yeah. And, I've struggled with perfectionism my whole life. It's been really crippling for me. Like has kept me from starting a lot of projects. It's kept me from finishing a lot of projects. Yeah. And even when I finish something, it's like just really like, I'm just not happy with it. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, I think I know this, but I just want to call this out. Like this is not false modesty. This is not like an interview where you're like, Oh, you're saying like perfectionist is a weakness. So it's really a strength. Like <laughs> this really does like drive you crazy. This is like a, this is something that, that, brings you less happiness, not more happiness. Like, oh, this totally. is something like you really don't, this is something you really want to, I don't know, get rid of in yourself, but like, but shift about yourself. Right. It's not something you want to hold on to. And I'm not sure, like, yes. And like, and I didn't know that there was actually like, I don't think it clicked for me that there was actually a way to work on my perfectionism until I read her book. Like, and she specifically has a few chapters where she just rails against this idea and tears it apart. Yeah. And she, and it's really cool because she uses her own experience. Like she's a really accomplished author and she'll talk about her own work. Like, you know, she talked about, I think it was in Eat, Pray, Love where she was like, she wrote the whole book and she had this one character that she knew was just not fully working. Mm. And to rewrite that character, it would have taken her months and months. She'd have to go through the whole book and do everything over. Um, and she said, fuck it. It's good enough. You know, it's done is done. Yeah. Like, let's just, it's good enough. Let's just get it out there and I can move on to my next idea. And she didn't, she put it out there and critics were like, eh, this character is a little weak, but, um, 
but she was fine with that. Like she was fine with not being perfect and was able to like move on and do and continue making more books and continue to putting out awesome work. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Something about that really resonated with me. And like I've, since then it's been my main mission right now. Like my main creative mission is to be disciplined and to show up every day and do like at least like an hour of creative work. Um, But also to really work on the, the non-perfectionism thing, like to be okay with just like putting out stuff. If I get like, you know, if I get 80 or 90% of what I'm trying to express, you know, and like, and then just like put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, normally I spend, you know, I'll spend like, you know, I feel like, you know, a reasonable amount of time getting 80 to 90% of what I want to say, like out there. And then I spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks, like tweaking that last 10%, just trying to get it right. But it's not exactly saying what I want. And I get so frustrated. And, and then, yeah, it just becomes this miserable process. So I'm really embracing just getting stuff out. And uh, it's been really freeing. It feels so good. So that's awesome, dude. So I'll tell you like, so this really resonated with me as soon as you told me about it. And I'll tell you like the, the lens through which I think I struggle with this the most or the easiest lens through which I like connect with this is my email inbox actually, which is not (laughs) like necessarily a paragon of creativity, but like I've, I've over the last 10 years, it's been a source of like significant pain and frustration for me, the following dynamic. And I don't think I'm alone in this. So you get a bunch of emails and like you bunch that are like easy, quick, simple to respond to or ignore. Right. And then you always have a few emails, you know, every week that are like, really deep or really meaningful or sort of complicated to respond to. And like, they're usually the emails that are about the most important things, either like a really thoughtful note from a friend or yeah. like a really difficult problem at work or whatever. Like, but they're the most important. And invariably what has happened to me throughout my entire life is they're the emails that I'm least likely to respond to, you know, like the emails that just sit there in my inbox because I have so much like, anxiety or fear about like am i gonna write like a good enough response or am i gonna write just the right response this happens like in a work context to me and also in a personal context right and then it's like and then a month later i have like this pile of like you know a few emails sitting there that were literally the most important things i need to (laughs) respond to and the things i never responded to and it's horrible and i just you know that like anxious feeling in your stomach and then like you're like oh now i should respond but now is it too late to respond whatever that like very like um, frustrating, like unhealthy relationship that a lot of us have with emails. Like that's the core of my like problem with emails. And so like ever since, and I've like, I've known this was a problem. I've like lectured myself like about this problem. I've like, you know, they have like those posters up at Facebook done is better than perfect. You know, I've right. like tried to find like the mantras that will help <laughs> me through this problem. And it's just like, nothing's worked. And for some reason, this idea, even though I haven't read one page of this book, um, when you told me about like the idea of being a disciplined half-ass, like for some reason over the last week or two, like that's actually helped me. Like that's been like a North star I could put on like something like responding to emails. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go through, I'm gonna clear my inbox and I'm gonna be a little half-assed about it. Like no offense to <laughs> what I'm responding to. Like I'm I'm actually being half-assed so that I can give you at least a somewhat thoughtful response right. rather than spending two months trying to think of the most res- thoughtful response, but then never sending anything. Never right? sending like, anything, yeah. The nicest thing I can do to people is like, be a little more half-assed about my response. <laughs> and it's like, I've actually like noticed a shift and we'll see if it, if it persists, you know, right. I hope it, it, it might just be a week or two thing. And then I, I start sucking at this again, but it's actually been really amazing for me to feel myself getting a little better at something that's been so deeply frustrating for me and like yeah. intractable for so long. And like, 
this book and this idea and you sharing it with me has been a been a big part of that. So yeah, honestly, I, we need to go on a crusade against perfectionism. <laughs> it's such bullshit, like because it's one of those things that it's it's that interview question where people are like, "What's your greatest weakness?" You're like, "Oh, I'm a perfectionist," you know, and it's like. Dude, it's actually, it's not a good thing, but I've spent my entire life like hiding behind that. Oh God, I'm such a perfectionist, but like being proud of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of meaning it is a good thing. Yeah. And there's elements of it that that I am proud of, you know, my discerning qualities, my my ability to put out work that I, I think is really good, but it definitely, it definitely blocks things up a lot more. Like it, it stops me from, from actually doing stuff. Like, like you said, sending out those emails or actually making short films or creating stuff. Um, and that, that is insidious, man. That yeah. is evil. Like you know, that is, if, yeah. I don't like self-identify as a perfectionist, but that, that feeling where like you're anxious about putting something out in the world. Cause you're like worried. Is it good enough? Is it, whether it's just like an email, whether it's a, uh, sort of strategy that you like devise at work, like anything like that. Like, yeah. I think that is my single greatest professional weakness. It's the thing that like brings me the most unhappiness like in the context of work and also like a little bit outside of work but definitely in the context of work so i'm i'm in for your crusade i'm like <laughs> this is like a huge problem for me and i i would like to continue trying to solve it yeah fuck perfectionism yeah man. yeah <laughs> seriously We're tear um, it down. yeah and and honestly like and i think you mentioned this to me also but like after the election um yeah i i don't know like something about me feels like yeah, we don't have time to to be worrying about being perfect. Yeah. Like the world needs all of us to just be stepping up to our full potential yeah. as just much as possible. Action. Just, just take action. Something. Just do something. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's not perfect, even if it's not a hundred percent right. Yeah. Like, but like just keep moving the ball forward in your own way. Um and you know what? I, I really think perfectionism is less about actually wanting to put out like really great work. And I think it's just ego. You know, it's just it's just mm-hmm. like it's it's you wanting other people to like look up to you and be like, wow, that guy does such good. He, ha- he has the answers, you know, yeah. he really knows what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a lot more about, yeah, about preserving your ego selfishly than it is about, you know, like artistic merit or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, the last thing I want to say about this is regarding artistic merit, like, you know, I can hear people being like, oh, you, you want to be a half-ass? Like, well, you know, like, yeah, just, you know, put out like bullshit into the world. Like, that's going to do the world a lot of good. Um, my my thinking with this is like, so perfectionism, I feel like is the constipation of creativity. Uh, like it just blocks you yeah, up. It's yeah. like, and, and it just keeps you from, from actually putting anything out, from actually putting your work out into the world. And here's the thing, like, I feel like if you're consistently, and that's where the discipline part comes in, right? Yeah. But if you're consistently putting out stuff and creating and putting out stuff, you can't help but get better. Yeah. A lot of like, if you want, if you're talking about artistic merit, if you want to be putting out fucking amazing shit, you need to be doing a lot of it. Yeah. Volume. You, yeah. You need to be putting in those hours. Right. And like, and, and countless, countless, countless hours. Um, and that can only happen if you give the middle finger to perfectionism, <laughs> yeah. embrace some half-assness and just, and make putting out, you know, uh, stuff more important than than getting it absolutely perfectly right and maybe putting one thing out a year you yep. know so it's playing the long game yep eventually you'll be making some pretty awesome shit but you can't get there if you're not making shit yeah yeah so yeah dude here's to that i uh uh i mean so that um 
that book, Big Magic, sounds like something you'd highly recommend to people interested in this. I know it's been like a for Sarah, my wife, a game changer. She has loved that book. It has really resonated. It's also a podcast that I know Sarah listens to all the time by Elizabeth yeah, Gilbert that she really, really enjoys. It's called Magic Lessons. Yeah. It's a pretty good podcast. So or we can just do what I did and just read your blog post about it. And that's probably all I'm going to do, but it's been a game changer for me. So thank you, Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert. Yeah. Keep doing your thing. Keep being half-assed. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Okay. So moving on to our rapid fire round, um, our top three things of the month. Um, so we're each going to share three things uh, that have really resonated with us and have been, uh, are things that we just love to to recommend or share with you guys. So uh, yeah, so Gabe, to kick things off, what's what's number one? So my number one, uh, I watched Wiener last night. Oh, the documentary. Yeah, the documentary, Wiener. and it is amazing. <laughs> it's it it must be watched. Like everyone needs to watch it. And, give a little give a little background on what it is. Uh, so it's a documentary about Anthony Weiner's campaign uh, for mayor of New York. I'm sure everyone remembers Anthony Weiner, former congressman. He was actually sort of a big deal. Then he resigned because he like t- accidentally tweeted out dick pics with himself. <laughs> Oops. Um, and then he goes to run for mayor um, uh, of New York ap- like two years after that happened, and. Uh, he lets a documentary film crew film the entire thing. Uh, and he's running for mayor. He's actually gaining traction. Like he's up in the polls. People are like showing a willingness to forgive him. And he's like, a yeah. he's a really good politician. I mean, he's an amazing politician. He's a unique talent. Huh. And then it comes out in the middle of the campaign that, uh, oops, he, after he resigned from Congress had continued with some very like unfortunate, really like deeply unhealthy behavior, like, you know, more just like sexual stuff online and phone sex with like random women didn't know. And all, well, he's like married and he just had a little kid, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, so, so his campaign just like implodes. I'm not giving anything away. Yeah. Uh, but there's like two reasons to see the movie. Um, one, I mean, there's more than two, but I'll talk about two. One is that, You've never seen a documentary that got footage like this. Like the amount of access that he, that these people got to like a total shit show, like is amazing. And like at one point, the literally the guy behind the camera asks Anthony Miller, why are you letting me film this? I mean, it's just like, it's just the, just like from just like an artistic, like film, like also if you're into politics, all just like seeing under the hood and that it's just, it's crazy. Um, wow. So that's one. Two is that you, so you expect to go into the movie. Like, I think like just like going in laughing at what an idiot he is and then walking out being like, ha ha ha. Anthony Weiner is like the easiest, stupidest punchline in like American political right. history. But it's really like, I think you walk out with it. I I'll say I, I finished the movie. That wasn't the first thing that came to mind to me. Like, He's obvious, like he has, he obviously has like real deep issues that he needs to work through. Like you, but like you also see this like amazing, you see the way in which his strengths and weaknesses are the same. And he's even actually self-aware about it. He like talks about it at one point, but the way huh. in which like his, like his amazing, the reason he has this like amazing political skills is also the same thing that drives him to do this deeply unhealthy sort of like behavior that he literally can't stop him, like self-destructive behavior. Huh. Um, and man, the window on the press is amazing. Like we sort of talked about like sort of online mob culture before, but the, when you watch the way that people take glee in bringing him down and his ability to go out and just like take that punishment over and over again, which 
I think is like in some sense admirable and then in some sense comes from sort of like an unhealthy place. Like normal right. humans can't stand that level of embarrassment and shame. Right. But the glee with which people go after him, both in the press and just regular people, it comes back to your point earlier. I forget how you said it, but, um, but yeah, the way in which we like love, like, uh, what do you say? Signaling, signaling virtue. Vir- signaling virtue. Yeah. yeah. Signaling virtue by, by mocking this person to the maximum possible extent. Like the documentary actually, like you have sympathy for him because like the the punishment in my view like the the joy in which people take and like eviscerating him is pretty disproportionate to the crime huh. it's not that the crime wasn't the quote-unquote crime like wasn't real and problematic and he's not someone with like really deep-seated issues who probably shouldn't be in public life but anyways it, it you got to see it for those reasons. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. I, I'd heard about it, but yeah, like I assumed, like you said, that it would just be kind of making fun of him. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool that it actually made you sympathize with him more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got to check it out. Yep. So that's Wiener. Uh, do you know who it's directed by? Uh, I don't. Wiener. I don't. Uh, but you, you, can't, you can't miss it. It's very you should easy to Google find. it. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Turn on safe search. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number one of the month um, is a podcast. I feel like this might be one of the best podcast episodes I've ever listened to. I know that's like, that's setting it up high, but it's, uh, it's our part of the podcast invisibilia and the episode is called the problem with the solution. And wow, it is a fascinating podcast. It, it explores this town in Belgium that has a very unique approach to treating mental illness. And basically, you know, I'm not, I don't want to give too much away, but in this town, all the town's like inhabitants willingly and like happily like take in uh, people suffering from mental illness and like kind of adopt them into their family. And they've been doing this for generations and generations and generations to the point where it's just, it's normal to them. Um, and the rates at which people recover and make progress on their illnesses here is like, is so much stronger than like, than anything that we've been doing here in America. Um and so, yeah, so first of all, it's just a fascinating look into, um, yeah, into like treating mental illness and like possible other solutions and, and solutions that we may not have thought of, but also like from a craft perspective, like from a storytelling perspective, it is like an amazingly produced piece of content. Yeah. Like the, the way, like they start with an intro with this guy who invents this, like this, this silly kind of thing. Um, and they managed to tie this whole thing together. Even the reporter brings in a personal piece of her own story with like her sister and her life and all these pieces come together. And like when they come together at the end, there's like a revelation they kind of make that, that ties everything together. And it's just like, there's an epic drop and you're like, whoa. And you just walk away, like having felt a lot, having learned something and having a new perspective on a lot of things. Um, so yeah, so I highly recommend this podcast it's uh the problem with the solution on the podcast invisibilia it's an npr podcast npr yeah. podcast um and i've only listened to like i think one or two of their other podcasts but those have been excellent as well so just subscribe to that podcast yeah yeah i listened to, to so i listened to that this episode and your recommendation it is as amazing as you just described it um and yeah i also listened to a few of their other ones recently and just all yeah top notch like really 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 well done yeah it's it's definitely one of my new favorite podcasts so good um did you listen to the one with the oil rig 
Yeah, yeah, that was great. That, that was, was amazing. Great. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to piggyback that onto onto this also. But yeah. uh, do you remember what the name of that was? Uh, I don't. It's their most the, recent one, though. It's the first yeah. episode of season two. Oh, it's called The New Norm. Mm. And it was the first episode of season two. And that uh, that one's great, too. Really interesting look into masculinity. Yeah, um, yeah. Highly recommend it. You yeah. just check it out. They based, yeah, basically like, yeah, teaching oil rig workers, like the toughest guys in the world <laughs> to cry. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like and how that actually changes everything and it yeah. changes their lives and changes the productivity of the oil rig I mean, yeah. it's like so crazy yeah and it's a it's a wacky story too yeah. like yeah this this french woman you just have to just have to yeah. listen to it <laughs> yeah. invisibilia check it out awesome um cool okay so my uh my next thing uh it's just gonna be a simple quick one so um website uh it's a nice little product called flippable.org i forget who sent it to. i think maybe you sent it to me someone um, retweeted it on my timeline and i was over at your house at the time and i was like have you heard of this yeah, yeah. um it's a great little product it's um so i um you know i think i feel like the sixty four thousand dollar question over the last two weeks with with all of us have been really upset about the election is like what can we do and i think um there's a million answers to that. And most of them are good answers that, you know, whatever people feel called to do, they should just go, just like we were saying earlier, just go out and do something, anything, just get in the game. Um, but I thought this website was great. It's super easy and simple. You just sign up, give them your name, email, zip. And then the name flippable.org is all about like, hey, we need to flip the house. We need to flip the Senate. We need to flip the presidency. And every week we're going to give you just simple, concrete actions you can do towards one of those goals. And I just like, I love it because it's like easy, like lowest possible barriers to entry. And it's also very strategic focused on like, hey, let's like do things to actually win back power from people we think shouldn't have power right now so that um, we can create the sort of politics and country we want to see so um it's obviously not like the only thing people need to do but right. if you're just like looking for like a quick simple easy thing to do that's been sort of the number one thing that i've been recommending to folks it's just like a a super easy but useful starting point that's awesome i think it was created by some some members of the hillary like team or at least hillary supporters okay um but uh i was curious like so i mean the website is really great i love the idea of just like simply making um, yeah, just giving you clear directives and just simple things that you can do. Like as someone who I'm not as uh, involved in politics as you are. Um, so that was great for me. It's like, I want to help. I want to do something. I don't know what to do. And it makes it very actionable. Um, I'm curious, like ha from, have you seen like the, the missions that they, they've been kind of, and the directives they've been giving out? Yeah. Like, are yeah, they? Yeah, they seem all pretty useful. Like, I, I guess so my general my general take is like, I, I think like signing online petitions is generally not like the highest impact thing to do. Like, I'm not sure that that generally moves stuff. A thing that does, and I think we both saw a little story on this written by someone who used to work on the Hill, like something that's like easy that I think really does make an impact is actually just picking up the phone and calling like people in Congress about it, especially ones that represent you, but also others. I think like that's something that actually, and that's something I've seen this website sort of drive people towards. And that's, I think that's a good example of something that sounds so like quaint that it seems yeah. like a, like a silly waste of time or something that only like old people would do or whatever. But yeah. like it actually, because it actually unlike an online petition or a bunch of faxes, like when you call, like people have to actually, who work for ex congressmen have to actually spend their time answering the phone. Like you can actually 
blow up an entire office and make their entire day just answering your calls about x issue and like when that happens it gets noticed so like i think like websites like this and others are driving people to like collectively take those actions and target them towards towards like the important flashpoints or you know it's useful yeah and that's a really cool point like i never thought that calling would ever be useful it yeah. seems so archaic and, yeah. and dumb but like why would they care what i think yeah but after you you shared that article with me i was like holy shit this actually this is more effective than, than signing one of those million petitions yeah. um so yeah flippable.org uh check it out and uh it's an easy way to get involved uh, my number two um is so i feel like so i'm actually i'm making a video about this right now i'm like um so like I originally wanted to say like I want to make a recommendation that everyone should see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go into huge detail about it, but basically like it's not about oh like you only need to see a therapist if you're in crisis and something's wrong with you. It's actually the best way to supercharge and accelerate your own self growth. Um, but I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> so my it's actual either. recommendation, yeah, my actual recommendation is. Um, I think a, a a simple, like small way that you can get kind of like the benefits of this and you can kind of accelerate your own growth um, just at home and on your own time is to journal. Mm. And I know that that also seems quaint and that seems like it's something that's, ah, that wouldn't really help. But, um, but there's a reason why like all like top performers like talk about journaling a lot. There's, you'll see it come up time and time again. And I've seen in my own life, it's been super helpful. Um, I bring it up uh, right now in terms of figuring out my creative journey. <laughs> like, I know that uh, like a week or two ago, before I'd come across that whole discipline half-ass idea, I was feeling pretty depressed about uh, about my and stuck about my creative journey. And I, I just I knew I I needed to go to the next step, and I and I couldn't figure it out. Um, and something that was really helpful to during that time was just to spend like five to 10 minutes every day. Like when I was feeling stuck and I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to take productive action was to just sit there and write about it and just go, you know, just free, free of, you know, free stream, just write whatever comes up stream of consciousness. And, um, and doing that really, there's something about journaling that really helps you see things in a different way. There's something about taking these thoughts that are just floating in your head um, and throwing them like onto a screen or onto a piece of paper and being able to just see it there that gives you different perspective, gives you relief um, and helps you make progress on on what you're trying to figure out. Like, believe it or not, the mind like is a horrible place to, to figure out a lot of shit. <laughs> you can only hold so many ideas at once. Like you, you, what usually happens is you just get caught in two or three loops and you're just like stuck in them going over and over again. Yep. But on paper, you throw something down and you can really like, you can start to work through things. You can start to see, you can actually start to see the loops that you're stuck in. You can actually start to make progress. Um, so for whatever it is you're working on and, and if you're, if you're, you know, feeling stuck in life, if you are trying to figure out your next steps, if, you know, if you're, if you're wondering why your Tinder game isn't strong, <laughs> like I feel like a good first step is always to just sit down and do some journaling. And, you know, and like, and if anything else, like, or if nothing else, this is really just a you taking aside deliberate time each day to just like take some action and, and to try to figure out a solution. 
So now, do yeah. you have a daily practice, like a consistent daily practice, or is it something you do more ad hoc when you feel called to it? Um, it's a little more ad hoc. Um, I in the past I've had like pretty strict, like before I start my workday, you know, journal for 15 minutes. And, and that was really awesome. And you'll actually hear a lot of people like swear by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, uh, this one woman, I forgot her name, but she wrote this book called The Artist's Way. Mm. And one of her main ideas was to do these morning pages where before you start your day, you write like, I feel like it was like 15 or 20 minutes, just like stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. don't stop, keep writing. Um, and people swear by it. People say yeah. that like by like five minutes or 10 minutes, you start to like, you're, you start to, you get out like everything that was on the top of your mind and then stuff from beneath the surface like starts to come up mm-hmm. and you clear things out. You get your priorities set for the day. Um, yeah, like these days I, I'm, I'm easing up on, on daily routine stuff, but, um, I've been, you know, I made a commitment to work on my creativity an hour a day. And so part of that, um, I'll, I'll do some journaling, especially if I'm feeling stuck and uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's like a strong research base for that too. I remember like when I've like dived into like reading about like mindfulness, like here and there and people talk about some of the research behind it. I forget like the exact finding of some of the studies, but there's like multiple independent studies that have like messed around with like, Hey, if people journal for like four minutes a day for like a month or whatever, like no real instructions, no, like nothing they have to do. They don't show it to anyone. There's no like, they just literally their only job is sit there and just write for four minutes a day. Like people found like measurable increases in happiness. Yeah. <laughs> like like re- like independent like researchers over and over. So for folks that sort of want a sort of more like math, like uh, empirical approach to like yeah. uh, thinking about why they should explore this. Um, there's like really interesting like evidence from people's stories and also just from like actual research folks have done on this as well. Yeah, totally. Journaling. It's good for you kids. <laughs> sweet um cool my last thing i'll just uh a real quick book recommendation for my favorite book that i am um, that i checked out this month which was uh called behind the beautiful forevers uh by Catherine boo who's a uh, oh. uh so so very briefly so it's a story about a slum in mumbai and sort of told through the story of a few families that are that are basically trying to make it like uh-huh. in sort of modern India that's like joined the sort of global capitalist world, but still has these really intense pockets of poverty that are like connected to that world, but um, but uh, not really benefiting from it. Um, and uh, so it's an amazing, I think the easiest way I can describe why the book is so amazing is it's a nonfiction book that reads like fiction. Huh. So like the and the way it reads like fiction is like one. So when Catherine Boo is she's just an amazing writer. Like it's just not every day you read writing like that. I mean just like her, she's able to be so like beautiful and descriptive and poetic without being like over the top about right. it. You know and like these subtle amazing ways. There were parts of the book and I normally like my approach to books is like just trying to finish them. You know I'm a very <laughs> like uh sort of like maybe utilitarian is the right word with like just trying to like check books off the list and right. learn everything I can learn and move on. There were pages of this book that I got to the next page and I was like, I need to go back and read that page again. Like, which I never do with a book wow. just cause like, I was like, that page is going to haunt me for like a year. Like it just some of the imagery wow. and the stories and like, and just the depth with which she like got to know the characters and which she, she, the way she was able to actually like recreate dialogue, recreate like what people are thinking. Like you normally only see that level of depth about like individual characters in a fiction book. 
But these were like, it was like hard for me to believe while I was reading the book that these were actually real people. And then you get to the end and she sort of talks about her reporting methodology and like how she got so deep. And was able. So like, it was just, um, it's an amazing book if you're just like, from a human perspective, it's an amazing book to like, think about sort of like, the growth of global capitalism and like who that's bringing along and who's it's leaving behind and, and how things are working in a developing country like India or not working. Um, so from like a lot of different perspectives, it's a book that, that can really hit home. Um, and I think almost anyone would really get a lot out of. That's awesome. And what was it called again? Behind the Beautiful Forevers by Ka- Catherine Boo. Okay. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. That sounds great. Yeah. It's really sweet. All right. So my number three, <laughs> um, is uh is a recommendation that it sounds silly, but uh, you know what? I, I think it's important. Um, I recommend you know this is like the best purchase under fifty dollars, um, and especially with the holiday season coming up, amazing gift. I recommend that everyone own a onesie. Wow. Yes, and uh, and I and not just any onesie, an animal onesie. You yeah. know, like a dinosaur yeah. onesie, a unicorn onesie, what whatever animal floats your boat, but um. Onesies are fucking awesome. Um, I uh, I know we basically like our group of friends. We all uh, got got animal onesies uh, for Burning Man this year, and we we had one night where we just we hit the town all wearing onesies, and it was so much fun. Um, and since then, I feel like I, I I come up with every excuse possible to to wear one, and it just it brings a silliness to my life. That is so much fun. Um, they're also comfortable as hell. Like they're they're fuzzy jammies, you know. And people should be wearing jammies more often. Yeah. Um, and the they, jammies are amazing. Yeah. They they just kind of put you in this more playful, like childlike kind of state of mind. And I think they also really encourage like other people. They 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 light up other people as well. Um, my, yeah, maybe we see just like a dinosaur walking down the street. How can you not be happy about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I don't know. It's brought so much joy into my life and to all of our friends as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready to make my second onesie purchase. Wow. Yeah, moving up from from being a zebra. Um, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to go for next, but thinking maybe an iguana. Oh, maybe. Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some uh, maybe something with a little more color. We'll see. But. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like everyone should definitely have one. Yeah. I know I've converted you as well. Yeah, no, I was I was initially a skeptic. I just did it like because of peer pressure. But man, I've been loving my onesie. The one, the only uh, additional level of nuance I'd add to your recommendation is that if you're gonna get a onesie, really recommend get one with a tail. Oh, like the yes. tail. Like if you're really drawn to a onesie that doesn't have a tail, I, like I don't I don't want to like denigrate your onesie choice. Like go for it. But like if you're just sort of on the fence and trying to figure out where to start. Just pick anything with a tail. Having a tail oh. on your onesie is just like, it's really for me what's been the, <laughs> the most joyful part of it. So much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they're cheap too. Like you can get one on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Um, they're super comfy. And if you, yeah, you can just like wear them at home, like if you're just lounging or whatever, and people just get so excited when they see you. Yeah. And they see you wearing one. It just, it just makes people happy. Um, and if you have a group of friends and you guys all have onesies, I really recommend going out in them like yeah. hitting up a bar wearing onesies or uh, a bunch of my housemates and I like went to Dolores Park the other week all wearing onesies so there's like 12 to 14 of us just like just onesied out and people loved it people were asking us like yeah questions they want to take pictures with us and everything it was just like so much fun um so yeah highly recommend everyone get a onesie yeah dude ditto 
All strongly right. endorse. So that is the end of our top three things of the month. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much at, at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to hit upon? A little bonus round, if you want. Uh, <laughs> still got like a few minutes left. Uh, no, nah, I think we, we covered a lot of ground today. I'm really happy we did this. I'll tell yeah. you at the at the beginning, like I felt a little nervous. I felt like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be so good, or like maybe it's not going to be as good as our last one. <laughs> but um, I decided to just be a disciplined half ass and go ahead and do it, and just throw stuff out of the world and, and <laughs> we, see how it lands. Exactly, yeah. we did. And you know, honestly, like, and that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast because we're doing it live. Hello, folks. Hey, Steve. Hey, Olive. Um, we're doing it live, and it's also the nature of it, you just, you just hit record and you just talking. Um, and there's not really much fiddling. There's not much editing. There's not yeah. much you can do with it after it really, it discourages perfectionism. Yeah, yeah. Like once you yeah. say it, it's done, it's out. And then I guess it's good enough. You yeah. just put it out there. Um, so in a way like us, yeah, doing this podcast is a great way to, to, to hold that crusade yeah. against perfectionism. And, yeah. Keep the half-ass march going on. <laughs> so um, March towards freedom. Awesome. Well, uh, Gabe Rose, uh, where can we find you online this week? Uh, probably the easiest place is uh, is just on Twitter. I've actually been tweeting a lot more recently. Um, awesome. I've like generally just a Twitter lurker, um, just like reading stuff and not putting stuff out there. But yeah, over the last few weeks, for uh, sort of obvious reasons, I've just felt like I had actually more to say and more to put out there. So that's been fun, at Gabe Rose. Awesome. How about you? Um, yeah, you can uh, find me on uh, twitter.com at uh, Jamin, J-A-E-M-I-N underscore Y-I. And uh, and yeah, I've actually been tweeting a lot more too. Um, I don't know if it's just like post-Trump, which it just feels like, I don't know, it's just, it's just felt like it it mattered, like the, the fear of just holding back and not saying anything just mattered less. Yeah, and yeah. just want, just express myself, like why not, you yep. know? Um, so I've been tweeting a lot more lately and also I've been blogging more lately too, mm. and hoping to blog a lot more. Um, you can check me out at jaminyi.com and I should have a video, my first video blog coming soon next week, um, about why everyone should see a therapist. And I was going to do one on in defense of Kanye, but, uh, oh, it feels like Tommy is a little ill on it. Yeah, right yeah, now, so. yeah. Hope he's okay. But yeah, pray for Kanye, folks. Yep. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been great having y'all. Yeah, we'll see you next month on Guys with Feelings podcast. Bye.